Are you hearing voices? Good, because this is Hearing Voices with Drew Fisher. Opening theme provided by Nico Serdanovich. Thank you, Nico. I really needed that, like badly. I feel that CTV News is a bit of a letdown, and it's because of a headline that I read a few weeks ago that an eight-year-old activist was angry with Tim Hortons because of their NHL trading cards. Now, when I say eight-year-old activist, do you cringe the way that I do? Do you really let an eight-year-old call the shots. You're going to listen to what an eight-year-old is telling you to do. When I was eight years old, I was chasing my sister through the house with a wrestling action figure to beat her over the head with it because she stole the peanut out of the top of the peanut butter jar that came with a little peanut in the top. That's what eight-year-olds do. So I'll go to an eight-year-old and ask for their advice when I want to know who the strongest Pokemon is, but I don't need their stance on world events. So this little girl is angry with Tim Hortons because of their hockey cards, their NHL cards. Um, I've been to a few NHL games in my day. She's mad that the cards don't contain the female players. Now, I'm not a hockey expert, I admit it. I brought it up on the last episode. But I don't recall any female NHL players. So unless she wants a trading card of Ty Domi's hooker, I have no idea what she's looking for, but I also think that we need to take these things seriously. When there's a problem and someone's upset, we should do something about it. So I say we go right to the source. So what I think we should do is contact FLIR or Upper Deck, whoever makes the NHL cards now, and we'll get that company and we'll hire them to make a trading card and we'll get that little girl and we'll take her picture in her favorite team's jersey and she'll be holding the stick and we'll make an official NHL trading card of the little eight-year-old activist. And where it says name, we'll just write slut. Speaking of uh, similar things, uh, I was excited about the new Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee show. I thought uh, it looked really good. The girl looks just like Pamela Anderson. The guy looks quite a bit like Tommy Lee. And I remember living through that era. It was kind of the inception of the internet. And uh, I was pretty excited by the look of the show. It looks like it's really well done. I like Seth Rogen. Um, so I was going to check it out. But then as I was watching the trailer at the end, it said it's available on Disney+. Plus. So I think Disney must have... Uh, changed a great deal in the last couple of years. I remember Disney movies, but now I picture the Disney plus channel. You've got your kids sitting in the living room and they're watching the lion King and the pig is strutting through the woods going Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful friend. And one of the kids accidentally sits on the remote and it hits next. And it just pops up with Pamela come in my eye. And you would, you would just be stunned. I can't imagine that that's on a kid's network. What's going on? What happened to Disney? My guest today, my one of my oldest friends in the world, 
Daryl Kotka. Now, I'm going to get this out of the way first. I often call him Fonzie, and I bet I'll do it multiple times through this interview. So if I say Fonzie, that's who I'm talking about. But Daryl Kotka, we're going to follow him through his journey to joining the police force. And it involves a couple of tests that people might have no idea that the officers have to go through. And stories that I found very, very funny around a campfire one night. So I think you'll enjoy it. So hang in there and get ready, because this will be a good one. It's going to be funny if I get home and upload this and all you can hear is like a quiet hum because we're in a garage or something. Um, <clears throat> I actually, I still haven't got my humidor working. No? No. So Elena got me, a, my sister got me a humidor for Christmas and I tried putting it together. I've got the little dial. I don't know if that's the, what did you call it? The hydrometer? Yeah, the little thermometer on it. That is the hydrometer reader essentially it's a gauge that measures the humidity level inside the actual cigar box also known as the humidor right so i i don't have the uh i have the dial i don't have the little thing that you're supposed to get wet inside right the little uh, sponge yeah so i've got to buy that yeah so it's been since christmas i still haven't got the bloody thing working <laughs> so i had two cigars sitting there too because she got me cigars with it and I had to throw like all of them out because they went moldy and I've never had that happen before. So I don't like trying to learn something new that I've never done before. The, the thing is, I enjoy cigars. I enjoy, I enjoy them immensely. Um, but to have cigars, it is a very tedious task because it's not like a pack of smokes where you can just smoke a cigarette, throw the pack in the drawer yeah. and then not worry about it for a couple of days or weeks or months. You know, you can smoke that pack. They might get stale through time. Yeah. Um, but with cigars, it's, you're constantly monitoring the humidity level inside that box because for what you just stated, um, too much humidity causes them to sweat and then go moldy. And then, you know, little humidity causes them to dry out where the, basically they're a piece of paper where you, you know, you light it up and it just goes into a... <laughs> People will be confused because I said this was all about uh, becoming a police officer. So we're actually, uh, this is probably going to be one of the best ones because we're smoking in your garage. Uh, we're both huge cigar fans, so that's what we wanted to do. So if it is a tinnier sounding episode, that's why. Or we're coughing. Yeah. We're coughing immensely. Hacking up along or something. Yeah. Uh, what are we drinking while we're doing this? Okay, so we're just drinking a basic MGD. You're a fan of it. Yeah, it's uh, usual go-to. Yeah, I've always been a fan of NGD. I think it's one of the nicer uh, Pilsners. Uh, and we're smoking a lovely Hugo Cassar. It's a cigar from Nicaragua. Um, Nicaragua is always good. I've never had a bad Nicaraguan cigar. No, they're one of the more um, prominent countries that uh, makes a fine cigar or a nice cigar. Yeah. Um, this cigar is really nice because it pretty much pairs well with everything um, and it's mild so it's not overly strong. It's nice to smoke. It's easy to smoke. Um, it pairs well with being awake. Like if I'm awake, <laughs> I would smoke this. Yeah. 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 Exactly. You don't want to be sleep smoking yeah. because well, cheers. that's just horrible. <laughs> cheers. So the guest today is Daryl Kotka. He's my buddy from high school. Uh, we go back probably as far as you can go with somebody. You've always had my back through everything. And so you've just gone through on your way to becoming a police officer, right? 
Right. So before we start, I just want to say, um, just to recap on the first episode that you did with uh, Ben, um, I'm really glad the universe brought us together because I know that's something that you enjoyed people to say. Yeah. But yeah, so just spitting off of what you just said, we've known each other actually for 23 years. I did the math today, actually, because I I knew you were coming over. Interesting. Um, So yeah, as of 2022, 23 years. So that's pretty crazy. We probably have the maturity level of twenty-three-year-olds. Yes, yeah. so. which is which is good because you know you are you're only as old as you feel. Yeah. So I still feel young. I still feel like uh, like I move around pretty good. People complain about. Sometimes I see these guys that are our age or younger. Actually, I see guys that are like twenty-five, and they've got the hair on the sides like George Costanza. Yep, and they've got like a big like belly and I'm just like you fucking look 80 years old like how did this happen yeah exactly. you know like everybody we kind of ran with all they all typically look about the same it's, it's true it's, it's weird. true and so, I don't know if it's just from taking care of ourselves or maybe the work that we do <laughs> taking the, care of ourselves as we're smoking as we're and smoking drinking and drinking alcohol um, or if it just comes down to the stress level maybe we're just more easygoing people and the easier going you are the less stress you have yeah um, you might have nailed it. That could be true. That is true, probably. I'm not a doctor, but who knows. But um, uh, yes, so policing, yes. So I always had an interest in policing, even in high school. Um, I realized, well, I shouldn't say I always had an interest in policing. So I had an interest in law in general. The issue is, is that I wasn't a big fan of school. Yeah, but you were a big fan of Lionel Hutz. <laughs> I was a big fan of Lionel Hutz. Um, and... I remember going to a few, because you know, when you're in your senior years of high school, you have those those days where they'd bring in people from like universities and colleges, and they try to recruit those, you know, those top academic uh, scholars, you know, get them in and beef up their rosters with these really well graded individuals that go I, there. I missed that day. I got suspended. Yeah, I got suspended multiple times. <laughs> uh, but I just remember like. The lawyer aspect really interested me, not just because of Lionel Hutz, but because I liked I liked law. Um, but I knew, I remember going home and, and talking to my, both my parents, and my parents were so honest and blunt with me, which was probably the, the best thing so that I didn't achieve it or go down a rabbit hole. But they were just like, you don't have the grades to get into university. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, fair enough. Am I making this up or, but when we graduated, you and I skipped the ceremony and played tennis outside. Is That's, that right? That is correct. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we, actually remember. we essentially just got our diplomas, I think, because they would give you your diplomas or they would give you like your transcript of your your initial four years in high school or five years if you went to OAC. At that point, that was a thing. And uh, they would be like, oh, congratulations. Like you've now completed the OSSD certificate or diploma. Um, but then they would also do the ceremony, um, and then if you were interested in that, you could you know wear the guard garb, wear the cap, and you know, walk down the aisle and hear your name and yeah. do all that jazz. What the fuck do we care about that? Exactly. And I just remember like we we were on like a tennis high for some reason, and <laughs> we did play a lot. <laughs> we went and we literally played tennis uh, at the tennis court that was in uh, in our high school. Yeah, it was right outside. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah, I remember doing that. Now, I might be making this story up. It popped in my head the other night. But you got stabbed in the hand with a fork. Yes. Am I making this up or did this happen? No, I'm pretty sure I got stabbed in the hand with a fork. Uh, Was that my previous job? Yeah. 
Yes. So um, just to progress through the, the chain of years. So I got into, I went to school for uh, police foundations and police studies. And once you get that diploma, as it's only two years, I mean, there is an opportunity for you to apply and see if you can get on into on police force or you can, you know, get go out and, you know, work a normal nine till five job until you think you're ready to apply. So I knew I wasn't ready to apply. I knew my grades weren't to spec to what at that time policing was looking for. Um, and a lot of people were like, well, why don't you just get into law and security or get into some form of criminal justice work so that, you know, it can catapult you into that next stage. Um, and so one of the jobs I had was I worked at, well, my last job, actually, I worked there for 15 years. So I, it was working at a youth detention center, um, with kids from 12 to 18, but also kids all the way up to year 21 of age, depending on when they committed the crime. So for instance, if it was a really harsh crime, like murder, you might be in custody for three or four years past what they consider a young offender sentence to be because we were always taught okay well once you're 18 whatever you did when you were a kid it just gets sealed up and put away which is correct however um you know if you if you commit a heinous crime like murder then you know you're even though you're 21 you're still under the youth criminal justice act okay um so i worked at this facility we were 12 beds at the time we were co-ed at the time so we had 50 percent girls 50 percent boys kids with criminal records mental health issues um behavioral issues criminogenic behavior and you're essentially you know a correctional officer to these kids yeah um but you never knew what they were like, how they were going to be, how they're going to react when they weren't happy. And I just remember at one point, um, you either came over one weekend or I met you somewhere. Or I might have even told you through the phone. But yeah, I had this this youth, a young offender that was having a meltdown, um, really non-compliant, wasn't following any direction or orders. And they had a fork in their hand. I remember trying to get the fork out of their hand, but he was a little more quick than I was. And he stabbed (laughs) me in the hand. So (laughs) I always remember that story. I just can't imagine you having to come home and tell Vicky, uh, your wife, this story. (laughs) Well, the funny thing is, is one of the very first times I met Vicky's parents when we first started dating, um, we went out for dinner and when I I met them at the restaurant and when I came to the restaurant, I had like bite marks all over my hand because I was trying to like, me and another worker were trying to physically restrain a kid from harming himself or someone else. And while I was trying to restrain him, he was very quick with the, with the jaws and uh, he bit me twice on the hand. They they say that's worse than an animal bite, right? That human bite is worse. Well, that's the thing, right? Because then you don't know like... Well, health-wise, you don't know like what they have. You, you could have a bacterial infection. You could have a could have a million things. A million things. Yeah. You just don't know, right? So, um, yeah, yeah. That that was, and I did that job for fifteen years. Yeah. Was uh, the fork the worst thing that happened? Uh, I think so. I remember I remember restraining an individual, and you just become so complacent to certain things that you shrug it off so like things don't even phase you anymore yeah when you work in a setting like that uh and i'm sure even in adult corrections it's very similar we're like you walk by like 
you know, someone's broom and let's say they're they're masturbating, then it just doesn't even phase you yeah. because you see it all the time. That right? was actually Silence of the Lambs. That was a movie you watched. That was. Sorry. I keep forgetting that I'm not. They throw the comment at the yeah. main character. <laughs> I'm sorry. That wasn't me. Um, but, but, but boy, was it memorable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, I did that for 15 years. And through those years, I just got really good at it. Um, and I had a really good group of staff that worked with us. Um, and the managers were very black and white, though. Um, so they didn't allow you guys, uh, you guys or me in general or the rest of the staff to really input new progressive ideas. It was always like, no, we did it for this long. We're going to keep yeah. doing it that way. But it's like things evolve. Things change. Things are always better. Um, but... Yeah, I saw a lot of great people go. I saw a lot of great people stay. In, for my own selfish reasons, I probably should have left earlier than I did. Unfortunately, yeah. I stayed because I really enjoyed the people that I worked with. And I think that says a lot about uh, a facility or any job. When yeah. there are good people that you're working with, you have fun at work. And the, on the opposite, too, when you're working with people that you can't stand, it's not livable. Oh, 100%. You can't do it. 100%. And, we, and there were our days when maybe the regular shift wasn't in and you were working with a different shift. And, and you know, there are people in, in lines of work, whether it's policing or, you know. Oh, it could be anything. It could be anything where they just don't fit that appropriate niche. There are people that slip through the cracks during hiring and they shouldn't be in those positions, but they still get those positions. Yeah. And, and you know that they shouldn't belong. Um, working with you know inmates or being a police officer, but unfortunately those things happen. Yep. But uh, I would say ninety five percent of us were great people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I worked there for fifteen years. I keep saying that, but that's a long ass time. Yeah. To be in an, an agency employed, I started there as a as a uh, officer and then or a youth worker, corrections officer, however you want to say it. Um, I was a supervisor. I was the program manager, and then for the last two years, I worked there. I was the superintendent or the executive director and I was actually running the facility um, up until... you want to brag anymore or should we like... I don't think I can really put any more... <laughs> any... You want to pat yourself on the back a little bit more yeah. about how great you are? <laughs> Please. Do you, want to, do you want to write your own uh, summary of what's in this episode? World's greatest man, Daryl Kotka. Yeah. This is the first and last episode of this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to send you, when we're done, I'm going to send you a picture because... Uh, a friend of mine works at the Penetang, I don't know what you call it, I say mental institution. Yep. <laughs> Is that the proper? Uh, well, there's two in Penetang. So there's actually the mental health center, which is, it's a center for mentally ill people. Uh, and then there's also the CNCC, which is the Central North Correctional Center, which is the prison. Yeah. So I think it's the first one. But a good friend of mine works there. And one of the inmates attacked one of the nurses. And he's a very powerful guy. And he charged across the room and had to restrain this person. And he ended up hurling them over a table. And I have a picture of his arm after. He ripped every tendon in his arm the whole way up. From the force of the push? Yeah. Wow. And it is, it's one of the most nightmarish pictures wow. you're ever going to see. But um, back to your story. I won't talk about somebody else while we're here. Yeah, um, how dare you? These are very nice, by the way. This I know. Is. This is very nice. I'm enjoying this a lot. After mm -hmm. my cigar disaster of them turning moldy on me. Um, so I want to go right into the story about your training for what you're doing now. Because a lot of people, if they're interested in getting into policing, uh, they might not have any idea 
about these two tests that you had to go through and mm -hmm. we were having cigars in the summertime around a campfire you were telling me the story and uh i'm gonna use it as the thumbnail for this episode the yeah. picture of your face so if we could start with the first one and just uh yeah so so basically um i work for um a municipal police force uh i won't say their name for uh yeah, for the, your own uh, protection let's not say yeah. anything too detailed i will say that they they monitor the innisfil bradford region they're an excellent municipal police force i will say that um and they utilize special constables there um, as a form of policing or police duties um, to assist police officers doing the community work that might necessarily be needed on a daily basis. Your phone's ringing. It's them firing you right now. <laughs> yeah, we heard you doing. mention us. Um, but anyways, long story short, in regards to that, um, they had a position come up. And I applied for it, um, went through the long list of requirements or steps to get on as a special constable. Um, and then, of course, once they present you with a job offer, that's when the training begins. So one thing that I really enjoyed about, or, or still enjoy, depending if they call or not today and fire me, uh, one thing that I do enjoy about the special constable position is you're kind of like with them, because not every special constable in different police forces utilizes their special constables uh, the way that this agency does and they allow you to do uh various tasks and duties throughout your 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 job um which i find it makes it more interesting it doesn't get stagnant no two days are the same which is kind of what i enjoy with work because it keeps things fresh um so yeah that's why i really enjoy it so far um but if you're interested in it you, there's a, a long list of steps that you have to do it takes about a year to get on from when you submit your application to by the time you get a job contract um they give you the job offer you go into training the training took about six months the it's very theory based they want to explain to you your powers of arrest um what your duties and responsibilities are they want to make sure that you're familiar with um, different criminal code policies or, or criminal code laws. Tired of all these laws. When do we get the freaking guns? <laughs> um, but anyways, so as a part of training, there are a couple of things that you have to participate in. Um, there is the pepper spray training portion <laughs> of the job so basically you do they explain to you how pepper spray is going to be one of your use of force use of force um, tools or methods so they familiarize you with the use of force wheel and with the use of force wheel it basically shows you uh, it's a circle chart and it basically explains tactical communication during um, you know an Issue. So whenever you're, uh, as a police officer or a special constable, whenever you're dealing with um, maybe a defined individual, um, whether it be somebody that might have a gun to maybe a protester, you use the use of force wheel to explain how you're going to engage this individual. It's pretty unlikely you'd ever see a protester these days. So. No, not, not, not whatsoever. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so basically, you, with the use of force wheel, it basically explains, um, okay, what is your approach going to be? How are you going to approach it? You want to use non-lethal force depending on the situation. And then if things are needed, then it would go to, to lethal. 
The, you know, if your life's in danger, it's going to be lethal force. you got to defend yourself. Right. So they basically explain to you how pepper spray is going to be used during your use of force module. Um, and then after they go through the theory work and explain to you, um, you know, how pepper spray is comprised in your little bottle. Um, and they show you on a, it's called the, I forget the actual word for it, but it's called the Schofield Heat Scale, I okay. believe. And it basically shows you like every pepper that's in the world from like <laughs> the bell pepper to the jalapeno pepper. So this is like you're ordering wings, basically. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, and then I think in on the Schofield heat chart, pepper spray is above the ghost pepper. Okay. And I, I don't know if you've ever experienced the I ghost pepper. I've, I've had like very hot wings. Yeah. Very hot. Not and even enjoyable at that point. I don't know no. if like eating this kind of no, stuff. No, it's not enjoyable at all. And basically what pepper spray is or what the pepper spray that we use is, is a canister that is, it's water and then it's just pepper dust that's very fine dust of different forms of capsicum peppers okay. um and then they just mix it all together in the water-based solution i'm actually sponsored by capsicum peppers there you go there you go thanks capsicum <laughs> um it's the first time i've ever heard that name before yeah um basically this this pepper spray it's it's not oil-based it's water-based um it's not under compression like some of them have they like a co2 in them so it's almost like an aerosol yeah um this one has just got a little agitator inside the bottle and you squeeze this bottle of pepper spray um and it'll release the pepper spray juice or water or liquid for let's say an extended period of time you might only have maybe like 15 seconds of actual spray in a canister yeah so you can use it like maybe two to three times before the can's empty okay uh, and what they train you to do is um, you want to aim at the forehead. Okay. So you aim above the eyebrows and then you hope that the pepper spray will then bleed down into the eyes. Right. And during your training, you're like, all right, like I, and then they make you practice this. Like, so they give you like a, they have a dummy and you like pull it out of your belt as you would do during an incident. And then you would spray above the, the eyebrows and let it bleed down. Right. And it, like within seconds, they say it works. So the whole time in training, I'm like, all right, I get this. Like I could do this. No problem. But then they tell you, okay, well, just so you know, um, we're going to be testing it on you. <laughs> <laughs> because in the event, there are times where you can get what they call back spray. Right. Where if you are, you know, utilizing this tool and you initiate it and there's some wind, you might get some back spray that'll come back onto you. And sure, then, or if the person lunges forward and grabs you or something. Or the like person that. grabs, yeah, yeah, the person grabs the pepper spray from you and then he uses it on you. Sure. And then you're compromised and then you have to fight your way out of it. Yeah. So basically that's what they tell you. They say, well, you need to learn to fight through it because there are times where you could use pepper spray on an individual depending on what state they're in mentally, physically, maybe they're under the influence of, you know, some sort of drug, yep. they can fight through it. Yeah. So you have to be ready for that. So they're like, so we'll be testing it on you um, next week. So I'm like, awesome. <laughs> so this is, if you go to this episode and you look at the picture of Daryl, this is the picture. How soon after you got pepper spread? So from, the picture that I sent you was probably 40 minutes after the pepper spraying demonstration. So it's interesting because 
for the pepper spray, so it's kind, it's very much like every person that wants to be an officer in some capacity or another has to go through this. Yeah. Whether you go down to the police academy and they do it there, mm-hmm. um, or you do it in your own detachment or police agency's uh, training portion, everyone has to have it done. It's kind of like, it's almost like an initiation into the brotherhood, if that sounds a bit weird. There's a sense of camaraderie there. Like I've I've done it. Now you've done it. Yeah. Like we have that. We have that. Things like all these different weird like. Sorry, weird's not the right word, but all these different like uh, things you can do for a living. They all have these traditions. Like Correct. I've seen with like jujitsu. As a guy gets his new belt, he'll walk the line and get whipped with the. Belts. Right, I saw that too, where they whip um, them. Yeah, pro wrestling. When the guys would get in as like a student, you would get the shit kicked out of you. Like guys would test you to see what you yeah. had. Um, there's all kinds of even if you hear old boxing stories about how guys get into boxing. There's always these weird traditions. So it's kind of like almost one of those things. It sounds really savage, but it's something that all you almost want to do yeah. so that you can say that you're part of this yes and 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 that's the way i i i thought of it as well and and still do that think being of it. said i don't ever want to fucking do pepper <laughs> nobody does yeah. um and but, that, that's kind of the message here is that if you really want to go this route and you want this job yeah just know your ass is getting pepper sprayed yeah well your face is getting pepper sprayed yeah and they tell and they tell you during the during the training like one of the biggest things that sets in, psych- psychosis sets in when you're pepper sprayed. Yeah, I would, I would imagine. Hello. Hi. We have a guest. Would you know a phase hairdresser? She's a lady who lives on her own and she's just up the street, they said. So we took every <laughs> precaution. We're in a garage. <laughs> We took every precaution for for sound because we were worried about the sound quality and all that. We told uh, Daryl's wife that we were going to be recording. We shut the ringers off on our phones. Everything was good. An old man. An old Scottish man. (laughs) An old Scottish man just wandered into the garage. Out of nowhere and asked where the hairdressers was. <laughs> I live in a suburb. There and, is no hairdresser. And, and we're also like, if you know where Daryl lives, we're up by the water. There's no one here. Like, you're very remote. How far has this man been walking? <laughs> Looking for the hairdresser. <laughs> He's going to be on the news later missing. So, anyways, where were we? Uh, I think we were talking about the pepper spray. So, yes. yeah. So, um, when you're sprayed by pepper spray, so um, psychosis sets in. So, what happens is the pain is so endearing or unbearable, I guess is the word I should have said. Yeah. Endearing's like nice. Endearing is, it's so, like if, it's so delightful that it, you want it again. If a deer comes up to you and like nuzzles in yeah, your hand, that's, that's right. endearing. It's just a delight. Having your yeah. eyes burned out of your skull is a little yeah. less endearing. Yeah, I think it, well, the word I was trying to say was, but it came out wrong, it might've been the beer, but uh, it's so uh, overwhelming and unbearable that uh, you forget to breathe. And fear sets in. And then when fear sets in, you kind of go into shock and then you hold your breath and then you pass out. Right. And that's what they don't want because the pepper spray kind of, when it when it hits your face and it hits your eyes, it gets into your sinuses through your tear ducts. Yeah. And you can't breathe because when you initially start to breathe, you're, people breathe through their nose, right? So as soon as you breathe through your nose, you get that taste of Mexico uh, down your throat. So you need to start breathing through your mouth. And that's what they tell you. So um, when they were doing it to me, uh, they had had set it up. So they say, we're doing it tomorrow, Daryl. I hope you're ready. Um, 
they were apprehensive at first because of COVID restrictions um, at the time. But I was like, no, it has to be done. It has to get done um, because I, I needed to feel what it felt like. But at the same time, I didn't want to be that guy that's like, oh, yeah, Daryl, Daryl bucked out. He didn't want to do it. Yeah. And then you're that guy like on the force that's like refuses to do it. Right. Yeah. I would think that this is almost so that feeling right before it happens, like you're you're mentally psyched up for it. You know what's coming. You know how it's going to be. But it's like that moment before you like rappel down a cliff or something like the first time someone goes skydiving where now you're up and your stomach just drops. Yeah. You know, and that's and I remember like the day it happened. So they were like, oh, make sure you bring up like a, an old T-shirt. They want because if it gets on your clothes, it kind of stains. Yeah. Uh, so they're like, bring an old T-shirt tomorrow. And I remember like it was down to like the last like hour. And I knew it was going to happen because they wanted to do it at the end of my training day because it takes a lot out of you mentally and physically. Um, so I remember them like setting it all up and like they had like, so one of the things that they'll, they'll get you to do is they'll flush your eyes and face yeah. um, immediately after to assist with pain and to get it away from your eyes because it's just so overwhelming yeah. so he was like my trainer who's a great guy he was like setting it up like a garden hose up with like a, a <laughs> nozzle on it and he's like um how what setting do you want he's like should i set it to mist or like shower i was like i don't care like i just want you've be done this before you <laughs> yeah. should know you tell me yeah. um so yeah so they they have me out in the parking lot at the precinct um I wonder what those screams of fucking bloody murder were. Yeah, exactly. That was me. That was probably me. Between the time frame of three and six, that was probably me. Um, But I just remember them, like, telling, like, all the officers on the radio, we're doing a drill out in the parking lot. Please be cautious when coming into the station. Do not hit a panicked young man um, rolling (laughs) on the ground crying because his eyes are are burning. Uh, I remember the inspector coming out and watching it, which was kind of cool. At the same time, there was a lot of pressure because I was like, I don't want to choke. Yeah. No pun intended, because you do choke. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I'm like, so you're just spraying my face, right? And they're like, yep. So I'm like, awesome. I'm like, I can get through this. It, he's like, once they spray you, the effects last for about 40 minutes. Depending on your thre- pain threshold and how your body um, reacts to it, you might only last 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. It all depends on the person, he said. I've known people that you can spray them within 15 minutes. They're fine. Okay. He's like, I know people that are immune to it you can spray them and it doesn't bother them yeah there's a very famous story about haku yeah uh where 12 police officers pepper sprayed him and apparently he just sucked it in snorted and then started punching cops right so so when when they were like yep we're just gonna spray you and you're just gonna get it you know it's just gonna be over with just remember to breathe just remember to breathe they kept telling me that so i'm like okay and then the other training officer who i haven't mentioned yet he comes into the room and he's like okay so i've set up your combat circuit um, and I'm like, combat circuit? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, so we're going to spray you in the face. And he's like, and then you're going to have to run through a, a circuit. Okay. Once you've officially completed the circuit, then we'll wash your eyes. Oh, and I'm like, God. son of a bitch. So then they tell you that they want you to do like this. So once they spray you and they blind you, then you have to fight through the pain mm-hmm. to initiate a simulation of, well, in the event that you get back spray during a apprehension, and you need to fight your way out of it, you can defend yourself. So they have like a dummy where you have to like elbow this dummy three or four times with your forearm, knee it three or four times, 
Then you have a guy with these fake hands who's going to be waving his hands around, and you can't see at this point because yeah. you're blind. And, so you just um, feel these things kind of hitting you. Right, and then you have to find your handcuffs on your police belt and uh, reach for these hands and cuff them. Jeez. And then once you are cuffed and you you put your hands up into the air, then they'll hose you down. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, this is going to be awesome, right? So I'm standing out in the parking lot. The officer that's going to be spraying me in the face is like, just look at me. He's like, when you're ready, look at the hand. He's got his left hand up in the air. He's like, when you're ready, just look up at the hand. Then I'll know you're ready. And then I'll hit you in the face. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, right above the forehead, right? Right above the eyebrows. He's like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> so I take a deep breath. I look up at the hand, and right at that moment when I look up at the hand, a gust of wind comes from behind the guy that's spraying me, and I see the stream going towards me, and instead of hitting me over the eyebrows, it hits me right in the eyes. So your initial reaction, like as soon as it hits your eyes, your eyes just swell. Yeah. And then they first the swelling sets in, and then the burning. And the pain and the burning is a pain that I've never experienced yeah, before Yeah, I was going to say, life. can you compare this to anything? No, I, I, I can't. I mean, I've burnt myself on a stove. Right. Um, I've never had anything in my eyes that is as painful as pepper spray. Like, is. compare this. Let's do it on, a like, a level thing. Compare this to just chopping onions in your kitchen when you breathe in too Okay, close. so if pepper spray is 10. Yeah. Uh, I would say chopping onions is maybe a two. Okay. I would say getting lemon juice or like orange citric acid into your eye would be maybe a three. Okay. Um, pepper spray was a definite 10. Yeah. Um, so is this like the most painful thing you've ever done? A hundred percent. Okay. A hundred percent. Interesting. And the crazy thing about it. So you've it, had a fork through your hand. This was worse. A hundred percent worse. I mean, it's your eyes. And even though you don't want to go into a fear psychosis reaction yeah you have no choice because you can't see yeah when your vision is impaired to the point where you can't see like i just remember i couldn't open my eyes my eyes were so closed because it's your body's initial defense mechanism to shut down yeah and protect the eye automatically if you try to poke yourself in the eye your right. eyelid's gonna close right oh, yeah okay. and, and i just remember my eyes hurt so bad and them just telling me because at that point I wasn't breathing. Yeah. I was trying to breathe through my nose and you just can't. Yeah. Um, and so then they, they say, are you ready? And like, I was like, I guess like, I'm sure it didn't come it's out. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Right. right. And I'm sure when I said, I guess it didn't come out very manually. It was probably like in sheer pain. Like, I guess. Uh, but I remember them like, they just, I was so at that point I was so angry. Yeah. Because it was just like, I got to get this shit done. So I like, my aggression was like, probably at like the highest it's ever been. Yeah, when you get an adrenaline spike, like they talk about like mothers, when their kids are in danger, they can pick yeah. up a car and stuff. Yeah. And I've had those situations too, where I've been so angry that I've done something. I once snapped a, uh, you know, the plastic boards, uh, the like boards they carry the, from the, to the ambulance on? Yes. I yes. Once, I once snapped one of those in half during an adrenaline burst because I'd actually had a seizure and uh so i with my bare hands ripped the thing apart and it's like it wouldn't even normally be physically possible but when when you're in that situation where you're almost on like animal instinct you can do these feats of strength that are ungodly and i will say that that's impressive 
Yeah. For you to snap a gurney like that, like a plastic, like that's thick plastic, yeah. it's durable plastic. It's meant to. It bends a little. Like it bends a little, but it's specifically designed for if, like, if let's you have say a spinal injury, a spinal injury yeah. or a neck injury. They want to keep you as sturdy as possible yeah. while they're moving you. Yeah. So for you to be able to break that and destroy that gurney uh, in a adrenaline rush or a fit of rage yeah. is super impressive. You know the worst part, and you'll appreciate this. Uh, so I have the seizure, I'd hit my head and whatever, and I get rushed to the hospital. And then they tell me that story. They're like, you ripped this board in half with your bare hands. And I'm like, still got it. <laughs> I'm proud of myself when I'm hospitalized having a seizure. And I'm like, yeah, badass. But anyways, back to you. Uh, I'm just thinking about them like, does this man realize what's going on yeah. here? It's like that bodybuilder thing. When somebody accuses you of being on steroids, you're like, oh, thank you. You yep, know, it's pretty like much. You, you need that compliment because you know you're at that level of conditioning where I totally get that though. Um, so yeah, so they spray me in the face and then I just remember they're like, uh, all right, let's go. So then like, I remember my adrenaline was so high and I was so angry and I just wanted to get through it that I remember punching, this guy was holding this like giant like punching bag and I was hitting it so hard and kneeing it so hard that afterwards he was like, man, he's like, you were like wailing on me. He's like, it was impressive how much force you were throwing into these shots. Yeah. And I was like, oh, thank you very much. Same thing. Still got um, But then I just remember like going through the circuit and then like putting my hands up. And then like once I put my hands up, it was like the adrenaline crash. Like almost like if you get into a fist fight. Or I'm oh, yeah, yeah. I, I talked about this with a mutual friend of ours. You can tell if someone's ever been in a fight before if you talk to them about the aftermath. Yeah. Because anytime I've been in a fist fight, I've always done pretty well. And then I come out of it and I walk away and the body starts trembling. Yeah, you get you, the shakes. You almost want to cry. Yeah. You feel like you're going to cry. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Is you get, there's three types of people that I find. So I've been in a few fist fights where I get the shakes. Yeah. I get very exhausted. Mm-hmm. And uh, you almost get like a sense of um, sadness. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's people that get sick yeah. because their adres- adrenaline was so high that their stomach just gets so upset. Yeah, the, uh, the adrenaline dump is so brutal. Yeah, yeah. Or, or then there's the people that just sob. So that's yeah. that's the flight fight or flight response, I believe, is yeah. what they actually call it. There's an actual name for it. Um, so yeah, so like I put my hands up, I'm done this circuit, and like I'm just like I'm done, right? And then they were like, "All right, all right, like come, come to me, come to me." So they're, they're escorting you over to um, a chair so you can sit down, and then they give you this water hose, and you're just flushing your eyes. Yeah. And even though now, you're, is there any relief or no? The relief is that it's cold water hitting a hot area. And another thing that you don't understand is with pepper spray, wherever it hits you on the skin, it burns because okay. it gets into your pores. Yeah. Um, so like, I remember rinsing my eyes out for a good 25 and they tell you like when you're rinsing your eyes out to like force your eye open. Cause you, your eye is now clenching it and trying to protect itself, but you need to open that socket, hit the water on the eye itself to flush it. Cause once it's flushed, it'll leave. Right. Um, so I remember like having to like force my eye open and like flushing it with a hose and they're like blink, blink, blink. Cause they, they want you to like be able to yeah. push it out. And during this whole like 25, 30 minute stint, um, I remember just like officers driving through the parking lot and like honking their horns yeah. or like congratulating you because they, you had done it for one thing. Yeah. Um, and it, it was almost like, welcome to the team. Yeah. Welcome aboard. 
Um, which that's, I, a, that's amazing, but I still never want to fucking. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely something that I'll only do once. Um, I think if I go down to the academy because they do it down there because not every person that goes into policing will go the route I did. Yeah. Um, and they'll just go all the way down to the academy. And when they go down to the academy, they do the same training routine with the pepper spray. Yeah. Um, so if I ever go down, I'm going to be like, absolutely not. Like I did it once. Thank you very much for the offer, but I'm out. Well, I, I have bad news because I wanted to be <laughs> the first live podcast where we do it again. <laughs> It would have been better if you wouldn't have told me. It yeah. just shot <laughs> just me in the face. In the eyes and you flip the table and start breaking <laughs> shit. So it gets worse. Than, well, not worse, but there's more. There is more. So so the, the day or two after the pepper spring. Oh, what's even worse, too, is just back up for two seconds. So they actually filmed that whole incident. Oh, really? Um, and one of the things. Do we that, have it? I wish I did. Okay. Um, and the training officer said he was going to send it to me, but he never did. Um, I was going to say we're going to have to add video to the podcast. But we'll have to. I'll have to get it at some point. But um, so that training officer now, with all the other staff that come through and other other officers that come through, he shows them that training footage of me getting yeah. pepper sprayed. Yeah. So like whenever new recruits come into the station, they're like, "Oh, you're that guy that got pepper sprayed." <laughs> and I'm like, "Yes, that is me." Also, the uh, I guess a lot of people who hear this don't know you some will some won't you're a big guy so to be the guy holding the bag when you're charging at him in an adrenaline fit with no eyes how tall are you you're six. so i'm i'm uh, so i'm six four six four and i'm about 265 right now yeah so to have you charging at someone might be a little bit of a terrifying situation yeah luckily the guy that was holding the bag was a bigger guy as well because he had said man you were like wailing on my chest with those elbows but um, I got through it. But yeah. so now I feel like I'm the poster boy for getting pepper sprayed because everybody that's walked through uh, <laughs> the doors within the last year have seen this training video of me uh, me getting pepper sprayed, and apparently it's their their yeah. educational video. That's a great story. Um, so yeah. So as as Drew was saying, um, so there is more to the training. If my beer spills yeah, all over the floor. beers are exploding because they've been out in the cold, so just ha bear with us um, for a moment. So two days later, uh, we go into taser training. So they're giving me a theory on tasers. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> I'm like, I already saw the red flags go off. I'm like, fool me once. You're not going to shoot me too, are you? <laughs> what if somebody takes the gun? <laughs> so they do taser training and they basically go through, okay, when you're tasing someone, uh, you want to hit them. From in the, you always want the way that these little taser things come out. They always come out on a bit of an angle, so they try to get get it across your body so that it'll essentially uh, per, temporary paralysis of the upper body or the yeah. lower body. Okay, depending on where they hit you. Yeah. Um, and they and it's an electrical shock, right? It is an electrical shock okay. by an electrical charge device. The device is charged by a lithium battery. Um, the battery, I think you can get like three or four stuns um, on, off of a unit. Um, so there's two ways to tase somebody. So there is the, what they call a dry tase, which is where they just hold the unit up to the body and then they tase you. Okay. And then there is the actual where let's say you were 10 feet away from me and trying to run away, or maybe yep. you were coming at me with a knife. Yep. 
I could aim my taser at you and then hit a trigger and it disperses these two prongs. Yeah, so I've seen this in person. Uh, I'm doing another episode later where this happened to someone that we caught. And um, yeah, so I'll tell a little bit about that story, but continue. Yeah, so, uh, so they basically tell you like with these cartridges that come out with the prongs, they try not to aim for the spine. And 90% of the time, they won't hit the spine because of the way they disperse. They okay. go out on an angle, and you want to hit them on the upper and lower body so that it desensitizes the whole upper body. Sure. Yeah. Um, preventing any arm wailing or moving, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm like, oh, very cool. And, and, and they're basically going through it. It sends a charge through your system. The charge only lasts about five seconds. Um, or the tase, not the charge. The tase lasts about five seconds, and it's equivalent for every second. It's equivalent to twenty bees stinging you. Okay. So, uh, twenty bees a second. The bees are in the what now? The bees are doing what now? Uh, 20, 20 bees per second. If a if a tase lasts five seconds, that's a hundred bees stinging you. Right. In one <clears throat> one initial contact. Yeah. And it's I'm like, like a huge phobia for people too. It's bee stings. Well, the crazy thing about it is, I'm I'm 38 years old. I've never been stung by a bee. I've been stung on the head. So like, I could get stung tomorrow and like die. I don't know. Yeah, you don't know if you have the allergy. No, I I never I don't. We, we never ever thought about this until that Macaulay Culkin movie where he got stung by all the bees and he dies. And yes. then, then everyone was concerned about which it. which many people don't know that scene exists in Home Alone, but it's on the deleted side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the alternate ending. <laughs> the crooks figure out that he's allergic to bees. and then I, just... One of my dreams in life, I'm interested in movies, I've always wanted to make a Home Alone movie now with Macaulay Culkin. So oh, he's God. home alone and he just like does a bunch of drugs and gets all fucked up. I'm sure it's already out there. It's I'm, pro probably I'm sure there's is, a spoof yeah. out there. Yeah, he does a lot of the funnier die stuff. Yeah. So. But, so yeah, during the tas the tasing, like they're explaining this, so it's twenty bees a second. So you're like a hundred bees equivalent to uh, a taste. And so I'm like asking all these questions to my trainer, right? Because now I'm like curious. I'm like, oh, so you can dry tase and you can taste. And they're telling me like these prongs that come out. They're like whenever they're discharged from your gun, that costs a hundred bucks. It's a cartridge. So like we don't try to discharge those too often during training because they're a hundred bucks. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so then he's like, but I can dry tase you if you want. Okay. And I'm like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, sure. I'll dry tase you. So he's like, let me just go ask permission. How, how kind of you. Yeah. He's like, let me just go ask. I'm like, he's like, do you want to get dry tase? And I'm like, why not? At this point I was like, I've already been pepper sprayed. How worse could it be? Right. So I just remember him going, let me go ask my manager if I can uh, tase you. Like he had to get permission first. <laughs> well, at least he asked permission. How nice. So yeah, so he goes down and asks, <laughs> asks his sergeant. Um, and then he comes back up. So he's like, all right, so I'm going to let you... I, I think it's probably best because you're such a big guy. He's like, if I put you in a chair first. So he's like, just sit in a chair, relax. And I'm like, okay. So I'm sitting in a chair, very similar to what we're sitting on now. Okay. Um, which is a chair. Moments before they blow you across the room. Yeah. In case you people don't know what a chair is, just Google chair. Yeah. Um, there are many different styles. Um, so I'm sitting in this chair. So then he like pushes it up against my pant leg and then goes, are you ready? And I go, yep. And like. Hold on. I Googled chairs and I'm not getting any hits. <laughs> oh, damn it. Um, so I just remember him pressing it against my leg. And then like. There's a brief second where where you don't realize what's going on because it's hitting you so fast. Mm -hmm. And then probably about the fourth or fifth second just before it shuts off. Yep. Like you feel it. Like yeah. it's 
It's painful. I See, this one scares me because I'm really, not to pat myself on the back, which I'll consistently do constantly on all yeah. of these, um, I'm really not scared of much in the world. Not much frightens me. Yeah. But I do have a definite phobia of electricity, I've noticed. Um, I don't even like plugging something into a wall. I, obviously, I always have this moment where it's like, what if this explodes? <laughs> what if I get shocked? So electricity yeah. has always frightened me a little bit. Yeah. No, and I, and I totally agree. I remember one time I was I was trying to be Mr. Handy around the house, and I was trying to change um, in one of the first houses that my wife and I lived in. Uh, I was trying to change a, a like a plug-in yeah, outlet. outlet, yeah. And the house was like wired so backwards because it was one of these shitty ass contract homes mm-hmm. um, that I shut the breakers off to the kitchen, and then I remember thinking that, oh, it's like all the power's off, like I'm hitting all the switches, right? Oh, no power. So then I go to start changing this receptacle. And I remember at one point there was a blackout moment I had. Yeah. And I remember coming to and my whole body was being electrocuted and I had enough strength to like pull like my hand yeah. away from yeah. it. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? Like I just shut all the power off. And it was a weird moment because it was only a 15, I think a 15 amp circuit, but yeah. like, could you imagine if it was anything stronger? Like, oh yeah, well, like doing tile for as long as I did. I used to do backsplashes and stuff like that. And you would always take the covers off of the outlets and usually in construction homes, they have them turned off. But in like a lived in home, if you're doing a new backsplash, they're usually still on and you just avoid them. But occasionally you'll just accidentally brush up against the side mm-hmm. and you just see that pop and that little bit of fire that flies out for a second and that pop just paralyzes you yeah. it's like what just happened you know yeah you don't even so much feel it but it scares the and, shit and out. that's what it was very uh, very much like with the the tasing and i just remember i didn't have time to react and i remember once the the tasing actually stopped the only thing that came out of my mouth was and he started laughing when i said it was the only thing that came out of my uh, mouth was ooh <laughs> <laughs> and uh and it left like two little prong marks on my leg okay um where it it like burns you essentially right do you still Um, have them i don't have them and i would take off my pants in front of you but it's not our honeymoon yet he's Um, not wearing pants he's lying that's true i'm not we decided to do the whole podcast pants but i just remember me going ooh, and i remember he was laughing about it because it was like it wasn't what he was expecting yeah if i had to compare the two i would much rather get tased any day of the week than a pepper spring because it's pain that lasts five seconds yeah. and then it subsides instantly where with pepper spray, it's a 40 minute match where it's just slow burning you, slow burning you, slow burning you until it fades away and it washes right. you away. And the effects of it um, with a pepper spray, it lasts like days afterwards. I found that my eyes like weren't the yeah, same. Yeah, I was going to ask like, could you watch TV? Could you? I could watch TV, but like, I remember them telling you if like you need to go shower after you got pepper sprayed, but keep your head back and let the water fall behind you onto your back because you don't want it touching like your your anything that's in front of you, whether it be your balls, yeah, yeah. or whatever, because it's gonna burn. And whatever skin it touched, it burned. And I remember having like, well, you'll see the photo in the, in the picture. God, it would be like dating my first girlfriend again. So much burning, slow burn. Yeah. <laughs> On the balls, I mean. <laughs> touche, touche. So, um, yeah. I was going to say with the uh, with, in, with the taser, um, I did one of those Tough Mudder. Yeah. Like, oh, right. Buses. Yes, you did. 
And so they they have the electrical things where they shock you on a couple of things. It's a very minor shock. But it's like you said, you sort of black out for a second and then you realize like, oh, Christ, I'm still awake. Yeah. Like it was still going. So I went, uh, you had to crawl through the mud, like in a trench under these wires that were hanging, touching you and it was wet. And so you're crawling through and I thought, I don't really want to get shocked. So I'm just going to go as fast as I can. And like, I'm athletic, so I knew I could get through it quick. So I started crawling through it as fast as I could, but I went too fast. And the person in front of me, their foot came back and kicked me in the face. Oh, lovely. And it was like, bang. And I just had this moment where I was like, ow, shit. And then I looked up and realized no one's in front of me. That was the shock. And the way you said it subsides, it didn't hurt after at all. Once I recovered, I was like, oh, I'm fine. Like there was yeah. no, it didn't feel like I got punched or anything. But when you got hit, it was the equivalent of getting kicked in the face. That's how powerful the shot can be. Yeah. So kind of knocks you on your ass. It does. And, and because it happens so quickly and so rapidly, you don't have time to react. And it's like you said, where you thought you were getting kicked in the face. Yeah. And then once you came through uh, to, you were like, I'm doing this circuit on my own. There's no one in front of me. Yeah. Just a brutal feeling. Yeah. Um, So to change topics now, um, I think that covers most of what I wanted to go over with uh, the policing. But to change topics, we have kind of a weird story that we went through together in the last, well, it's probably been 10 years now. But uh, you and I had a mutual friend go crazy. And I just wanted to touch on it because I think a lot of people probably know who we're talking about. I'm not going to name his, like, I'm not going to use his last name anyway. Yeah. But um, I just think it's sort of an interesting story to see somebody spiral out of control. Yes. Well, so, it's, it's an interesting story, but it's also, it could be educational. Yeah. Um, and it's also a, it's a lesson to anyone that knows somebody in that uh, situation because... Yeah to try to help them to get out. Um, and hopefully they're not too far gone where unfortunately yeah, you end up like our friend. Definitely yeah. was. So this guy was, uh, he was my best friend from probably grade six on to maybe grade 11. Yep. And what happened to him, uh, I'll, I'll give his first name. His name's Tom. And, uh, so Tom was close with you and I. Yep. And, um, as time went on, he, both of his parents got really sick yep. and they, his father died and then within a year his mother died as well and he's in high school at this point and so i guess he inherited some money and was living alone and all of a sudden like obviously that's going to have an effect on yeah but all of a sudden he starts getting very strange yeah very very strange so now you know more about this i had a falling out with him so you know a little bit more than i do but what happened with me I went to his house and the internet was a new thing at this point, which is so baffling that like, What's the internet, Drew? Yeah. So the internet kind of it wasn't a thing you had at home until late high school for us. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And I mean, we were at that we were from that generation where it was pay as you go cell phones. Yeah. Um, I didn't even have one until I was in my twenties. Yeah, it was a pay as you go cell phone. They were big, they were bulky, and the only places that really had the internet, like you're saying, were the schools yeah. because they could And even then, it. it was like you could get on and go to an encyclopedia or something. It was it was Google, but it was like 
you we, couldn't do the things you can do now with yeah, it. Yeah, we had, we had a, a thing where you could talk to people called ICQ. That's right. All you could do was talk. Yeah, or MSN just, Messenger. That's essentially what texting is now. Yeah. And um, so Tom had internet, and I went over to his house, and we were basically stealing music on Napster, I believe we were doing. Probably. And um, so he'd been going through this thing, losing both parents. He was acting weird. He was obsessed with lighting things on fire. That's what he was doing, using lighter fluid. He would light the floor on fire. You remember that? Yeah. And so I was on his computer listening to a song, and all of a sudden, I felt something metal pressed against my, my back of my head. And I go, what are you doing? And I turned around, and he had pulled out a double-barreled shotgun and pressed it into my head. And then he starts laughing, and he says to me, he goes, oh, it's not loaded. And I go, you need to put that away right now. And his dad had put like a chain and a lock on his gun cabinet, and he was a hunter. And so he took the shotgun, and he went back... And he put it in the case and he locked it up. And the minute I heard it lock, I lunged across the room and I beat the living shit out of this guy. I pummeled him into nothing. I was like, dude, you need to get some help. You're out of control lately. This is the last time we're hanging out. And then it escalates from there. So I'll let you take over and you can kind of tell a little bit of your experience. Yeah. And so where it ends up. So. I believe when that incident happened with you, he was living literally five minutes from your house. Yeah. Right. So he was over on, I want to say, Lescott Street. Street. Yeah, um, so for those that don't know this, Tom, um, his father was very ill. Um, he spent his last few days of his life in the home where, where Tom and the rest of his family lived. So I think that might have had some sort of uh emotional attachment to tom and maybe some 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 um repressed emotions um which led to tom's behavior with you and and the the double barrel shotgun um whether it be he was just always grieving because he was in that environment or, or whatnot um but grieving in the uh the negative way uh and then i became really close to tom because i went to college very close to where i grew up we both grew up in midland um, so I would always come home on weekends and I was coming home through the weekdays. I was commuting every day from college. Yeah. So where most people go away to school, I was commuting every day. So I spent a lot of time with Tom. I think at that point when I was really close with Tom, <clears throat> you were in a relationship and your focus was like, you guys were working together, you were living together. So that was your focus. And you had kind of written him off at that point. I actually, <clears throat> you just reminded me of something just before we go any further, because this is kind of the last, is the word correspondence, the last correspondence I had with him. <laughs> or communication, sure. whatever. Um, but <clears throat> I was actually with my first real girlfriend and stuff was happening. And then my phone rings. And it was his girlfriend at the time. And I, she had never called me at home. Now, would this girlfriend be the one that we went to high school with? Yes. Okay. And she phoned me at home frantic. And I answered the phone. And I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, you need to talk to him because you're the only one he listens to. He just went on a rampage because I broke up with him and I'm not answering his calls. He went to this other girl's work and grabbed her 
and yeah. threw her in the back of his car and put the child locks on the doors or something. Yeah. So I and like yeah. basically kidnapped her. Yes. To tell him where this girl was. Yeah. And she's like, he's out of control. And I have one more conversation with him because I said, yeah, I'll handle it. I'll call him. And I got him on the phone, and it was just a lot of me lecturing him and. I, I don't want to say threatening, but saying like, motherfucker, you need to stop what you're doing. Yeah. And there was just, it was like talking to a shell. It yeah. was just a lot of, mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the crazy thing about that was that incident actually, not only did he, it was involved with you on that night, but I was working and I remember at that point I had a car and I was leaving my work and he shows up at my work. So he's like, oh, I want to tell you something. So like I, we pull into a parking spot and he's telling me about this incident where he um, basically kidnaps this girl, um, forces her to show her where Michelle is. Um, we probably shouldn't have said Michelle. Oh, yeah, I should have said that. Sorry. Well, anyone could be Michelle, really. Yeah, there's a lot of Michelle. There's a lot of Michelle's out there. Um, but anyways, I just remember him going to her house and then putting her in his car. And her, like, after they had broken up, she had told them that, like, um, you know, this wasn't working out and he had found out that she was hanging out with somebody else and he was threatening her. And then I remember he was like beating the crap out of his car to the, while she was in the car, like cracking the dashboard, breaking yeah. the mirror off his car. And like, she was scared for her life. And I think that was, the, that was leading up to that moment where you had gotten the call from her and then yeah. you calling her. Um, and then I believe that around that same time unfortunately his mother then passed away um was his mom alive during this no the mom had his mom had just passed away like maybe three or four months prior to the breakup of those two okay um and then him inheriting all this money and so he had never i don't ever think that he fully uh, and i know we've talked about this in the past but i know i don't think he ever fully Um, was able to properly grieve the loss of his father. He was never able to fully properly grieve the loss of his mother. Um, He lived in the house, like, because once his dad passed away in the house that he lived in, the mom was like, we need a fresh start. We're going to move to this house in Midland uh, on Elizabeth Street. Um, They moved to Elizabeth Street. She gets ill. Then she passes away in the house that he now grew up in on his own. At this point, his sister was in a committed relationship. She had moved out. So he was in this house all by himself. Yeah. With a big bunch of money that he got through inheritance. And the only way for him to properly grieve was him spending this money on whatever you wanted. And when you're a... I want to say he was probably in his 20s, early 20s. I think we're only 20. I think this is when we're like 20, yeah. 21. So it's almost like as ridiculous as this sounds, if you can relate it to Justin Bieber, because I remember like when Justin Bieber was really popular, yeah. really huge. He had all that money and he was just an absolute douchebag. Like, yeah. Well, it's the same with like any child actor when they're kind of born into that situation where they have all this money and they right. have no idea how to responsibly handle they're it. They're irresponsible with the money. They're invincible. They do whatever they want because they just don't give a shit. And that's the way he was. I remember he spent like a big bunch of money on this sports car. 
And at this point, you had like left the scene. It was just me. Yeah, I'm nowhere to be seen at this point. Yeah, I'm working and going to school, but he yeah. spends all this money on a sports car. Then he buys a snowmobile. This guy has no clue how to use a snowmobile, never ridden a snowmobile in his life. Um, I'd heard he was ordering like automatic weapons from the States too. He, was somehow he might have been. I never, I think that was after. Yeah. Um, but I just remember him like, I'm gonna, he bought like this top of the line snowmobile. And I was like, Tom, this is like a super fast snowmobile. Mm-hmm. Like, you need to be careful with this. And he was like, oh, I'll be fine. And I remember like three days after him getting this snowmobile, because he didn't know how to ride a snowmobile, yeah. he like rolled it. Okay. And like rolled it back into the driveway and like put it in the garage and like didn't say anything. But yeah. the whole thing was just, just like ru- ruined and totaled. Yeah. So that was his crutch, right? That was his way of, I guess, grieving was through retail therapy. Yeah. But then he gets a new crutch. Correct. Right. Correct. So, so then, um, and, and I feel to in ways, there are ways that make me feel accountable to his behavior because I was in a relationship at the time and she was an older girl and she had a different group of friends that we ever had yeah. and those group of friends were into really hard partying yeah. and at one point I was like oh you gotta meet my friend Tom like he lives over here so like I remember her going and we all meet meet Tom at one point and um, you know he, he got talking to her and yada 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 and then she's like oh you should come out whenever he's working Daryl's working and hang out with me and my friends so then he goes out and hangs out with them now at this point leading up to her and him going out with their friends tom had never drank alcohol nope he wouldn't even go out with a girl if she smoked he didn't like smoking um he wasn't into drugs he didn't smoke marijuana or pot whatever you want to call it um and then he goes to these this this party scene and they're smoking pot so then Tom starts getting into pot and he's smoking pot. But now because he's got all this money, it's not like he's smoking, uh, you know, the odd joint. He's buying like bags and bags of pot from what I understand. And uh, it just spiraled out of control to the point. It escalates and escalates and escalates. Yeah, it was just it was just a downward spiral. So he finds himself in prison. Um, I forget why. I can't remember what got him in. I think it was dealing drugs. I think he started doing Yeah, so what had happened was, so even though people say, oh, marijuana isn't a gateway drug, well, depends on the person. Mm -hmm. That's what it comes down to. Um, And for Tom, it was a negative niche for him because it went from marijuana to other drugs to the point where I believe how he ended up in jail was he started getting into pills and stuff like that. And it yeah. wasn't with Tom because he had the money. Um, and it was the, the thing with Tom is because he never wanted to be alone. Yeah. When you have money and when you have drugs and people like money and people like drugs, yeah. they're going to gravitate towards yeah. you All because of a sudden you got some people sleeping on your couch and shit. You got people that are hanging out with you. Yeah. You got people that want to be your friend because you, and, and because you have those things, but Tom doesn't see that. He sees, oh my God, this guy wants to be my buddy, right? So instead of Tom just buying a couple of pills, he buys like bags of pills. All the pills. He buys all the pills. Yeah. Um, and I remember like at one point me going to visit him um, 
one day I was off work or whatever, and like police cars are just like driving up and down his his, yeah, his streets. They, they knew. Yeah, they knew something was up with this guy, and then I kind of knew. And I, I had said to him, listen, Tom, like, I don't know. This is the last conversation I ever had with him. I said to him, listen, Tom, I don't know what's going on fully, but you're you're spiraling out of control. And whatever you're doing is probably going to hurt somebody. And then it's going to blow up in your face. And I remember he just, like, lost it on me yeah. and was like, fuck you, man. He's like, I'll do what I want. Like, you're not my parents, yeah. essentially. And he's like, if you don't fucking like what I'm doing, then you just fucking leave. Yeah. And so I left. I never saw him again. Yeah. And, and uh, that brings me to the night I was, uh, I'd met a girl mm -hmm. and I went over to her place to visit. Uh, we were hanging out and I said goodnight to her and I walked out to my car. I think it was around probably, I think it was around 12 o'clock at night. And uh, my phone started ringing and it was you. Yeah. And that's when you gave me the news. Yeah. So. Basically, from what I understood, which news are you talking about? The one when he went to jail? No, I'm talking about the finale. Oh, okay. So, uh, so just to back up a bit. So after I stopped talking to him, he was still spiraling out of control. And then from what I heard was um, the police raided his house. They right, like, right. he's got a girl. He's like, he's got his girlfriend at the time. They like, literally, it was like something out of a movie. The SWAT team rolled in. Jeez. Um, they like blew his door down, went into his house, arrested him, essentially searched his house. He ended up in jail. So I think he spent, because he was a first time criminal, mm. um, he only spent maybe a year in jail. Yeah. And that was in Penetang, which was close to close to home. Yeah. Um, and then the news I gave you when I called you that day was, hey, I'm not sure if you heard or not, but Tom is, he's passed away. He's died. Yeah. And from what I was told, putting two and two together, is that he got released from prison. One of his release conditions was he wasn't supposed to associate with anyone with a criminal record. Unfortunately, when you're in criminal activity, 90% of your friends are going to be involved with criminal activity yeah. and probably have a criminal record. Um, so he was at this party that night and... They were doing whatever. I'm not sure. Yeah. But uh, he leaves his cell phone at the party and he goes home. Um, at some point, somebody calls the police on this party, whether it's a noise complaint or whatever. Um, while he's at home, he's like, oh, my God, I forgot my cell phone. He goes back to the party, um, grabs his cell phone. He's about to leave the party after he gets his cell phone. And because of this noise complaint or whatever, the police, police show uh, up yes, at the house. I forgot about this. The police show up at the house. Yep. And then they're like, oh, we know you. Like, you're well known in the town now. Mm -hmm. um, you're under like, you're under arrest. This is a very small town, by the way. Yeah, it's a town of 16,000 people. I mean, everybody knows each other. Yeah. Um, so the, anyways, the police show up at the house. They're like, oh, we know who you are. You're Tom. You shouldn't be here. You're under conditions not to associate with these people. So... They arrest him, and then they give him a undertaking to show up at a court date. Right. So they don't put him in jail right away. They give you an undertaking, and then you have to go to court. And when you go to court, then they get a yeah, you get then a you sentence. Get your sentence. Yeah. So he goes to a friend's house to spend the night. Um, I don't know what condition he was in, but well, we can guess on the way this ends up. Yeah, we can guess what kind of a condition it was in. But apparently he was very upset emotionally. 
He knew he was going back to jail. Tom wasn't a very big guy. He was maybe five foot five. Yeah, shorter guy. 130, 50 pounds, maybe. Yeah, I'd say 150. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, like, we're painting this picture. This is a guy who's very non-violent guy, just like yeah. to play computer games at home, um, kind of into computers and stuff. Yeah. Didn't even want to get a driver's license because he thought he could ride his bike everywhere. He didn't want to get a car, and then he ends up with that souped-up sports car once yeah. he gets a bunch of money. It was just like a complete change of character. Like, the person we knew was gone completely. Yeah, totally. He was like, he was night and day from the Tom that we knew. Yeah. When when we grew up with him, he was he was awesome. Mm-hmm. He was hilarious. He was funny. He would do random things. Um, yeah, it could be a very funny cat when he wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you grew up with him and probably knew him a lot longer than I did. Um, and it, it's sad to see. Um, yeah. But yeah, so he ends up at this guy's house. He's panicking. He knows he's going to go back to jail. The first time he went to jail, it didn't go well for him. It probably scared him. It probably made him, at some, at one point, probably rethink his life. Yeah. Um, but he probably had a panic attack. Um, maybe he... Took a little too much or something. He used drugs and alcohol to maybe numb that panic attack. And unfortunately, he just never woke up. Yep. At this at this gentleman's house, the gentleman came downstairs to check on him and yep. found him dead. Yeah, and that was what I heard. Um, it, and and I called you yeah. and was like, "Listen, like, I just wouldn't have thought he was going to die." Yeah, at his age, I think maybe he was twenty five when he yeah, died. Probably. Um, but yeah, he was probably one of the more closer people to me as a friend that is because we always there was always those people in high school where you're like oh that guy died or that guy died yeah, yeah. um but no one really in our friend zone or yeah. our circle of friends um that died but tom would have been that one yeah um but yeah i remember when my my daughter was born he came to the hospital yeah. so my daughter's 16 now he came to the hospital when my daughter was born and he wasn't that tom yeah. he was our tom yeah and him holding holding my kid yeah and uh so yeah it's uh so it's amazing to see how something can spiral out of control that badly yeah and so unexpectedly 100 percent. and it's something that makes you think if you have someone that's in that spiral that they should get help or if or if you can intervene and do something 100 percent. but i mean there was at this point for us there was no talking to this guy at the same time you have to remember that people are only willing to help themselves when they want to get help and i don't think he was willing to get help um i think he enjoyed the lifestyle that he had unfortunately it was a negative lifestyle yeah um yeah i'm sure it's fun for a little bit yeah i actually still keep in contact with his sister yeah um she lives out in uh, just outside of Barrie. Yep. Um, with the same guy that she was with when uh, we knew Tom. Yeah. In in his his nicer days, his more positive light. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, she was always lovely. I always got along good. But yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so just wanted to tell that story because I think it's kind of crazy, and it's like the only firsthand interaction I have with somebody in that situation. You see like movies and TV shows about this kind of thing all the time. Yeah. Is one of those ones where it actually happened to us. Yeah. So now just to switch gears completely, 
Um, I just thought, you want to talk about UFC at all? <laughs> we can. So it, basically, we all gather at Daryl's house to watch UFC all the time, and I just wanted to find out a couple of things. Is there anything coming up that you're excited about in MMA? So, so I would say the next big thing that I am excited about will be the lightweight title fight, and that's Charles Xavier. Uh, Charles Xavier. Charles oh, Xavier. Professor X is Professor fighting. Professor X is fighting. I hope he uses telekinesis to win. <laughs> I don't think he can get out of that chair, but we'll, it'll, it should be interesting. It won't matter. He'll use his brain and twist him up. That's true. Um, so Charles Oliveira against Justin Gaethje uh, for the title. Mm, yes. That'll be a really good fight. Um, Justin Gaethje is just an absolute badass tough guy. Yeah, I think I watched his last fight here. Yes, I think we did. Um, it's funny because you think that he's a bit of a one trick pony, um, but I think he's got a lot of underlying MMA skill that he just refuses to show only when he needs to, because he's so tough and so good at striking that he tends to just strike and walk forward. And, uh, I think that's going to be a really good fight to, uh, see, and then anything that Dustin Poirier does. I'm a big Dustin Poirier fan. I think he really, his last one was good too. His last one was really good. I really wish he would have won the, the lightweight title. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure he'll come back uh, in a new weight class and, and dominate and get that in, in that title. So were, were you as stunned as I was when Amanda Nunes lost? Very much stunned. Um, I didn't see it coming. I, I thought that she was well-equipped and, and well-trained. I'm and I, really glad I didn't gamble on it. I know. I, I wouldn't have thought Juliana Pena had it in her because... Even though Juliana Pena was winning fights, she wasn't a consistent fighter. She was taking time off. Yeah. She had injuries. She got hurt for a while. She was hurt. She had COVID. Um, and those kind of setbacks give you that that ring rust, so to speak, where you kind of need in the UFC to be a fighter that's consistent with winning and training in order to get to that high caliber level that those champions are at. But, yeah, um, yeah I'm really looking forward to the next Dustin Poirier fight. Charles uh, Oliveira, his fights are always entertaining, especially with Justin Gaethje. So we'll see what happens. And then uh, other UFC question, who's your favorite of all time? Favorite fighter of all time? Yeah. Uh, I would say George St. Pierre. He was just so good technically. Okay, yeah. He was so well-rounded. I So during that period of UFC, that was my favorite time. Because you could order a UFC pay-per-view and it would, like the whole card from top to bottom, you'd have an Anderson Silva fight, you'd have a George St. Pierre fight, you'd have a Brock Lesnar fight, a Ronda Rousey. And it's like, this is the greatest show on television. Like, it, it was just unreal, the level of talent. The undercard would be just off the chain. Um, my favorite ever was Anderson Silva. Uh, the Spider, yep. yeah. Um, he's my favorite. It was like... I was like, to hell with the Matrix. This is the Matrix for real. Yeah. This guy can't be hit. And to this day, I sit and watch all of his matches. Um, and then I missed Khabib's almost his entire run. So I've been going back and watching a lot. Khabib, of uh, so I would say Anderson Silva or Khabib Namega Madoff. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, don't. Dagestani really gets me. I'm not really good with the dialect. Yeah. Um, but those two would be a tie for second in regards to um, probably the greatest of all time because they're just so good. Two different styles, but you cannot argue that they're when they were in the UFC and the amount of matches and skill level that they displayed was just undeniably so good. So good. 
Um, I was going to say, like when we were talking about uh, your job in the police force, yeah. um, we had another story and we can't talk about it. I know. <laughs> so, I know. Um, what, all I want to say to listeners, it's stupid to even bring it up because we can't address it. But I would say, if you want to come to uh, Daryl's house, have a cigar and have him tell you the story, great, because it's worth <laughs> listening to. And you can say, what's the one you weren't allowed to talk about on the podcast? But because you're employed and you're going through um, certain steps in the job right now, yeah. we're just not going to touch it. because yeah. I appreciate that. Um, know, it's something that if it came out, it could maybe be like... Yeah, yeah. It, it is a very interesting story. So if you do, if you're a listener that knows me and yeah. wants to come over for a drink or a cigar or whatever, yeah. uh, I'd be happy to to tell that story in private. Yeah. Um, I actually probably when we're done, I'm probably going to sit here and have the conversation with you because when you told me about it, I told you don't tell me because I yeah. wanted to do it on this. Yeah. Um, so I guess the last thing I can go right to the last thing now. Um, you have to recommend something. It's something I'm going to do with everybody. Yes. So it can be anything in the world that you want to talk about. I just want people to be able to broaden their horizons and find yep. something that they're maybe not interested in that they didn't realize was really cool. Right. So uh, whatever you got. Okay. So I'm actually going to recommend two, and I and That's I hate good. just I want because it as much as possible. yeah, they're two of my favorite things right now. So uh, the first one I'll make it short and sweet is um, a show on Netflix by Ricky Gervais, who I'm a big fan of. Okay. Um, it's called Afterlife. Yeah, it, everybody's telling me this is good. Yeah, so I don't know if anyone is familiar with it that's listening, but there's three seasons of it. Basically, it's a British television show. It's a comedy drama with some dark comedy elements to it. Um, Ricky Gervais basically plays a grieving husband who loses his wife to terminal cancer. Um, and she basically puts together these small videos on his computer to... Um, allow him to properly grieve and to remind him to properly grieve. So she films these little clips where she's like, you need to go out and eat today. You need to go out and walk the dog today. You need to do this today. Um, and it's a very sad and depressing story for the first season um, because he hates his life. He lost the love of his life. Um, he doesn't know what to do with himself. He contemplates suicide. His mental health is, is very bad and he hates everyone. Sounds like a real knee slapper. It's a, it's a great knee slapper. Um, however, it turns out for the last two seasons to be just an absolutely beautiful story about somebody overcoming grief, um, appreciating life and appreciating those around you and finding the happier things in life. So if you haven't seen it, you should watch it Afterlife on Netflix. We'll try it tonight. Um, my top one, though, because I'm still on it right now, is a band. Um, they're from Canada, Vancouver. They're called Spirit Box. Um, it's a female singer. Her name's Courtney LaPlante. She's absolutely beautiful to look at. Um, well, we'll and check that out. <laughs> they are a heavy metal band. Hello, miss. Um, they came out with their debut album in 2021. Um, it's called Eternal Blue. So if you haven't heard it, you should check it out. It's got metal elements, hard rock, rock, and alternative it's elements. It's funny because my album's called Eternal Drew. Well, there you go. Yeah. It's almost fitting, right? Um, and these guys just kind of blew up on the scene. So they've been on like every music magazine cover. I think they were number one on the U.S. Billboard charts for best rock album, best metal album, best international album. Um, they had five singles off this album. So that says a lot about a first a first album. But they're a really good band. You will probably find a song that you'll enjoy on it. So okay. I would give it a shot. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate it, man. Mm -hmm. um, that was fun. And I knew you'd be fun. 
because you always are. I yeah. Love, I love coming up here. Yeah, we'll have to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe someday we'll be allowed to tell the other side. I know. Well, fingers crossed. All right, man. I love you. All right, cheers. All right. So that was my chat with Daryl Kaka, my buddy, and his story about getting pepper sprayed and tased and all the horrible things he had to go through. Um, but before we get out of here, uh, I was lucky enough to have my old friend Tiffany uh, send me some music. She's recording music now under the name Miss Tiff. It's MZTF if you want to look her up on Spotify. Uh, the way I met Tiffany back when I was wrestling a lot, we would wrestle at these comic conventions once a year. And one of the nice parts of the weekend was I met Tiffany and we got to hang out with her for the entire weekend. And she is one of the coolest people you will ever meet in your life. And I think we did about two or three years of those events. And we always got to go down and chill out with her. Uh, they gave us a couple of rooms so we would all drink beer at night and just shoot the shit. And then out onto the streets where we'd find these like hentai porn showings and raves and all kinds of crazy shit so tiffany was always a blast and now we get to check out her music so here's miss tiff it's mztf uh with her new song so check it out <laughs> 